Hello, I'm Reggie Yates, and welcome to The Road Less Travelled, an original podcast series created by Bellstaff. I always had like a stage name, but I think it's because initially I was like, a, I wanted to be a producer. So I just got used to having a, a name that wasn't my own. When I decided that Rally Ritchie was going to be my name, I think it was because the songs were so honest or because they were just so, they were just so personal. I was like, I need to protect myself from, I need to not feel like I can't say anything for, for fear of somebody being like, Jacob, you, you said this thing. In this new series of podcasts, I talk to successful people about risk-taking, confounding expectations and the choices they've made that have led them to the place they are now. Now today, I'm talking to Jacob Anderson, also known as the musician, Rally Ritchie, or Grey Worm, if you're a Game of Thrones fan. Jacob, welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming along. This is, uh, is going to be fun. My pleasure, Reggie. Uh, London is one of those weird places where, particularly if you're a person of colour, in film and or TV, mm. you kind of all either know each other yeah. or have mutual friends. Yeah. And I think that's the case for us because this might be the first time that we've properly actually met. I don't want to put you on blast no way. while we're on a podcast. Go on. But um, I also don't want to put you on blast for the film. But I'm in it die. too. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So we're in a film together. Yeah. But so we, we, this is the thing you say, like, you might say this is the first time we met, and then somebody watches that film, they're like, weird. Wait, hang on a second. Somebody really? watches that film. But yeah, maybe the, the maybe. one person that's seen it. But... <laughs> now, yeah. for anybody that's listening that's going, all right, what is this film, and why are they chuckling in the way that they're chuckling? I'll give you an example as to why we're chuckling, right? So the scene that we're probably in together is the opening sequence when all of the students are in that big assembly hall, right? Yeah. And you've got two police officers, I'm one of which, yeah. uh, <laughs> delivering this long speech about uh, one of the students who has taken their own life. Yeah. And the director on the day said, oh yeah, so the other actor, that's the police officer, Reg, has decided that he doesn't want to do that big speech. So do you want to just swap parts for the whole movie? <laughs> what? what was we're shooting this in 10 minutes. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Uh, like two pages of dialogue for a start. But on the day, become another character. Just change over. That was the film that we were in together. He's such a G. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to say who you're talking about. Yeah. But that's, that's hilarious. That's just like... <laughs> <laughs> Zero fucks, basically. Uh, anyway, enough about that film and about us not really, really getting a chance to spend any time together. Yeah. Uh, I'm really glad that we are because I'm a huge fan of your music. Thank you, man. I love what you're doing on screen as well. But I'm also a fan of yours on social media and you did the one thing that I've wanted to do for years mm. and that is go to Comic-Con. Yeah. But you took it to the next level. Yeah. You went as Miles Morales. Of course I did. Yeah. In full outfit. Yeah. But that's uh, very, that was very cool. That like, looked really cool. It's one of my favourite places in the world. All right. I think. Before we move on, yeah. why? Why is it one of your favourite places? When I was a, I was like one of those kids that would like use a comic book shop as like a library. So I'd just go in and just read stuff and I'd just sort of be allowed to. And I grew up just like idolising Spider-Man. All right. Uh, we could talk about uh, lots of geeky nerd stuff forever. <laughs> it feels like we could be really off topic, but I'm going to bring the car back onto the road. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, ask you... Um, Something that I'm really interested to hear uh, about from you and from your perspective, because uh, like yourself, I do lots of different things. Mm -hmm. And one of the toughest mountains to climb for me has been simplifying, yeah. finding a way to actually boil things down and um, do what I need to do when I need to do it. Mm -hmm. So how do you simplify and how do you get beyond the noise? Um, I'm, tr I'm, I'm trying to figure it out still. <laughs> you know, like I think... 
one of the most frustrating things for me, I think, about myself is that it's like as soon as I need to kind of focus on one thing intently, I suddenly get like a bolt of inspiration for another thing. Right. Like I was meant to be taking a... Was it last year or the year before last? We like we finished shooting Game of Thrones, which had been like a year, almost a year, which is the longest that we have, we've ever done. And I was in the whole time. And so when I got home, I was like, right, I need to finish my album. And there's, I don't know if it was something about leaving the show or if it was just just because it was coming into winter or mm. what. It's like my brain works in quite an unreliable way, but like I wrote a film. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Yeah. Almost just subconsciously, my brain was like, right, you're going to do this now. Completely out of my control. Mm. Why do you think that you're uh, drawn to so many different ways of expression? I think it's it's like the way that I quiet my mind, I think. Like when I was a kid, pop culture, like music and and TV and comic books and and films, they sort of raised me, I guess. Mm. It's the way I relate to other human beings, really, is like through films and through music that, is the way that I've learned how to communicate with people. It's really interesting the way you talk about art and pop culture and how it's influenced you. Because mm. for me, it was a place that I would go to escape. Like, you speak about comics and, and Comic-Con. Mm. My uncle paid half of his mortgage just from selling a few of his comics because mm. that was how diehard he was yeah. when he was growing up. And he introduced comics to me. He sold and some, Yeah, he sold a few. <laughs> they, they were really valuable. Um, but he introduced me to comics and also how important they were when mm. it came to storytelling. Mm. What was the thing that introduced music to you? Because you're saying that it was really important, but why was it on your radar at such a young age? Do you know what I think part of it is, actually? Is I think when I grew up, I was kind of chastised for my music taste. When I was in primary school, it just set me more on a path of just like, I just like what I like. I think like when Blue Dabba Dee Dabba Die, whatever, when that came out <laughs> and everyone was like singing it, I was like, I hate this song. <laughs> like I liked the Spice Girls when I was a kid. Like I'm like a little brown kid that likes the Spice Girls in primary school, and it was like that's for girls. But I liked I liked their music, mm. and I thought they were cool. So when everyone was listening to Blue Dabba Dee Dabba Da, what was you listening to? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> You've said that a couple of times now. But, I'm starting to think you've come in with quite low expectations of me, Jacob. No, no, it's not that I don't think your questions are good. It's just, it's, it's, as if they're literally, they're good questions. So I'm like... I need to think about it. I'm working it out. I think I'm, I'm also, I'm in a very transitional period in my life where I'm just trying to take stock of everything and just trying to work out like what I've done up to this point and what that means and what, what I'm going to do next. Mm. So it kind of like... Actually, I was going to say, that means everything's a good question, which just undermines you <laughs> even more than you, <laughs> you just joked. Oh, you, know, you could say anything and it would be good. Um, <laughs> oh, but like, I was like one of those kids that I, sat, I just stayed up at night. I don't know if you remember Rhythm Nation. Of course. Trevor Nelson's show. On, yeah, so his Sunday night show, I would sit up and I had this boombox with, with like a double tape deck. So I'd sit up, I'd listen to Rhythm Nation from finish. That finished at like one. Yeah, it was a late show. On a Sunday night. Yeah. I'd record the whole thing onto two 90-minute uh, cassettes. And then I'd have a third cassette. And on the third cassette, I would record the show back into the cassette without Trevor. <sighs> so it was just, I'd make a mixtape and then that, I'd listen to that for the rest of the week. So like, I was never really listening to what 
my peers were listening to. Yeah. And I think that just made me more kind of like staunch in my in my love of music. I was like, I'm going to just investigate music now. I'm going to be a journalist or a yeah. detective about it rather than just sort of passively listening to whatever I'm told I should. The connection uh, between uh, being investigative in an art that you really appreciate mm. and um, actually executing in that art is, well, it sounds like what you kind of needed to do when it comes to film and to music as well. Mm. But what do you find more creatively fulfilling? Because to be good as an actor, mm. you really have to invest in knowing your character and knowing yeah. the world that you're trying to create. Um, do you do that in music? And and how how can you feel as fulfilled in both, if at all? I think they, they just serve very different purposes for me. Like, for instance, acting for me is like all about just not feeling like myself, I think. It's like an escape. It's a way to try and experience the world through somebody else's eyes. It's like an exercise in empathy, I think, for me. And it, it also feels like interpretive. But then my wife's an actor and she, what she does is is very creative. It's like magic. I don't know how she, like what she invests in it and what she gives of herself into acting is like something that's beyond anything that I can really comprehend. So like, I'm not saying that acting is not creative. I just think for me, it's it's um, it's just it's about disconnecting from myself. Whereas music is all about just trying to work out what's going on. I have a bit of like a a maelstrom in my head. I, I'm not very good at ordering my thoughts. It's just kind of they could just kind of hit me when they hit me. For me, music is about me sitting with my head and being like, "Cool, right, let's talk." What's so going on? If music is you unfiltered, why the stage name? That's a good question, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been making music since I was 14. And I always had like a stage name. But I think it's because initially I was like, a, I wanted to be a producer. So I just got used to having a, a name that wasn't my own. When I decided to, that Rally Ritchie was going to be my name, I think it was because the songs were so honest mm. or because they were just so they were just so personal yes i was like i need to protect myself from i need to not feel like i can't say anything for for fear of somebody being like jacob you you said this thing even thinking about like my family listening to some of the things i would I'd talk about in songs it used to make me think like are oh, they gonna worry about me or like you know people my friends are gonna worry about me whereas at least if i put it under this like Raleigh Ritchie thing, then you're safe. I can, yeah, and I, I can know that it's me, mm. but then if I want it to be so, other people can kind of just see it as Raleigh Ritchie. See, I, I love talking to uh, musicians, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love talking to musicians who have autobiographical uh, work mm. because I'm fascinated about what happens once you release that music because you're talking about people that matter to you or people that you know. And I imagine, well, at least in the conversations that I've had in the past, it can change relationships. Mm. And the same can be said for fame, right? Mm. So Game of Thrones, you joined in season three. So it was already an established show. Yeah. It was huge. And you're being watched by millions of people all over the world. Mm. And fame can change relationships too. Mm. So with both of those things <laughs> happening in your life, um, has it shifted the way that you're seen by your loved ones or have your friendships changed? It's hard to really know 
how it's changed other people's perception of me. And I suppose I can't really do a lot about that. I've had the you've changed text messages. Bro, you know, they're my favorite. Oh, they're great, aren't they? It's great when somebody wants to remind you that they miss you by telling you that you're a shitty person. <laughs> I love that. My answer to that is normally, yeah, I have. And actually we've grown apart and it's got nothing to do with my job. It's got nothing, you know. Anyway, that's an entirely different conversation that we could get into. But um, like, I like my autonomy too much. I like my freedom. I kind of consciously don't court fame. It's, it's a weird thing to say because obviously I'm in this like massive show and I, the things that I do and the things that like I care about doing and that I love are things that like put me in a position of like people looking at me or people knowing who I am. But like I get the bus and walk and I mean, that's, that's so like, I still buy my own milk. Um, <laughs> I don't go to like a lot of events or I don't, that's not what I want, yeah. you know? So I, so I think I've managed to kind of avoid the trappings of, of yeah. that. But I've I've got friends who like, you know, I've just seen their lives changing in such a huge way. And I've seen kind of how other people relate to that and how they react to it. But I've managed to just sort of keep my life more or less the same. You live right near a friend of mine called Bubba. And um, you were walking your dog and he was coming out of his house. Mm. And he's a huge Game of Thrones fan. Right. And he wasn't expecting to see Grey Worm at the end of his path. <laughs> so he's got to the end <laughs> he'll kill me for telling this story because he told this <laughs> and got rinsed when he said it in front of me and my pals anyway he got to the end of um, his front garden path stopped at the gate and you were there with your dog mm. and your dog was sort of I don't know picking at the tree or something like that mm. and you looked up and you caught eyes and he just stared at you <laughs> and he didn't say anything Yeah, and he's like the most awkward uncomfortable person at the best of times. He could be surrounded <laughs> by loved ones and have like nervous sweats. That's just who he is. Yeah. And he just stared. Oh, bless him. And you sort of like did the polite nod and then bopped on. Um, and I only tell that story to make my mate really embarrassed when he hears this. But also, <laughs> you can't control how people react to you, no. particularly when you're in the position that you are in. Mm. So how do you make sense of that? That part of my life has kind of reached fever pitch, I think, when this final season of Game of Thrones came out. So I'm like, I'm still working it out. I had like a weird interaction on the bus a few weeks ago that just like made me think, okay, you have to be a bit careful about... Because I nearly got in a fight on the bus because this guy came up to me and he asked me if I could take a photo with him. And I was like, there was a, a spare empty seat next to me, but it was like a full bus at 7 p.m. or something. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. But but could, do you mind sitting down next to me so we can just be a bit quiet about it? And he was like, yeah, okay. And and to be honest, in my head, I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm on, I'm on the it. bus and yeah. I've got my headphones on, which is like a sign for don't. Mm -hmm. And we took it and he was like, oh, yeah, my girlfriend likes, uh, likes her music and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, that's, that's nice. Thank you. And then he went back. I put my headphones back on and I had I didn't have music playing. I just had them on. And I just started hearing the word Grey Worm, like, really loud. And then just the way that he was saying it, I was like, they're filming me. I know they're filming me. Right. And they were, like, at the back of the bus. And I'm just, like, just a little bit ahead of the back of the bus. And he started saying some stuff that I was just like, nah, don't, don't do that. Yeah. Come on, on the bus. I turned around. And there's, like, this kid's just, like, sat there with his phone in my face. Like, and I, like, I just stared him down. 
And I was like, I don't, I, I don't know really how to approach this because yeah. I want to slap the phone out of your hand <laughs> and throw it off the bus. See, I have to but challenge have... you on that. Putting yourself in that situation and in that scenario mm. is difficult because you can't manage the behavior of other people. And why would you put yourself in that? Because I, I, I'm stubborn. I like freedom. I, I don't want to feel like I can't get on the bus. Why can't I get on the bus? Yeah. You know? And like, the thing, the thing that I can't do, which other people could do, is I can't grab his phone. Because then he has video footage of that and he can sue me and I'm in mm. or whatever. I was like, in a different situation, if it wasn't a bit bait, we would have a, be having a very different interaction. Yeah. So I stood up and he flinched, obviously. <laughs> and I got off the bus. I just walked off. But like, I was so angry because I yeah. couldn't do anything. I felt like powerless and helpless in that situation. Have you and spoken I, to any other friends who have been in a similar situation? Because you guys on the show have essentially all grown up together mm. and I imagine face similar challenges. So how does everybody else manage the level of um, interest <laughs> that you have? People, people deal with it in very different ways. Yeah, I think most people, yeah, are, are pretty smart and they just, if they didn't drive, they get a driving license and drive or they, they get Ubers or whatever it is. And then there's stubborn old Jacob. Yeah, because well, I'm just like, was that someone said to me recently? They were like, it wasn't on the bus or on the it was on the it was on the tube. No, it was on the bus. It was on the bus. And I was there with with my mum and my wife. And we're talking to this guy, and he was really nice. Mm. But he was like, um, he's like, why are you on the bus? And I was like, I've got somewhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't I don't know if you have to trade in your rights as a human being to get public transport or whatever it's not just about stubbornness i think it's about feeling human that maybe that sounds a little bit dramatic but as well growing up i wasn't a loner but i was like i was kind of a self-imposed loner i went to two secondary schools the second one i went to i was just like i'm not gonna like join in with the kind of social thing i'm just gonna spend my lunch hour like making music and i did i just went and sat in a music room and just wrote songs and stuff i've always isolated myself quite a lot and now as an adult i've got like good friends i've got a wife and a dog and (laughs) and like but i think part of that made me always feel a little bit like sort of separate to the rest of the world and and also i moved to london when i was 17 and like when i was 18 i was like living in, in hostels and like just I could afford to stay in a hotel f- once a week so I could have like a proper shower and stuff. In that situation, I wasn't connected to people a lot. Like I wasn't really talking to people a lot during my day. So it was literally just like preparing for auditions or going to the studio and then going back to the hostel. And it was like, I spent a lot of time in my own head. So I think the idea now of having to like isolate myself again at 29 just feels a bit stupid. I appreciate that people like really love the show and I appreciate that people connect to my music more so obviously because it's more personal and it, it that's like that's kind of part of why I do it is that connection is to like feel understood and to feel mm. and for other people to feel understood but I just think you're saying about it's not your responsibility how other people react to the, to you I think that some people can just uh their social graces could be better sometimes. Um, I have to ask you about um, moving over from Bristol to mm. London at 17. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that you were doing the hostel thing while going to auditions. Yeah. Um, I'd, stop- for- I'd forgotten about that, but yeah, I did that for about a year. What stopped you from going home? Like, what stopped you from leaving with your tail between your legs? Combination of things. I di- so I didn't just come to London to pursue things. I left Bristol 
because I had to leave Bristol. Not I didn't have to. I've said that before and it sounds like I was in some kind of trouble and I wasn't. I just had to leave for my own sanity for a multitude of reasons that I won't go into now. But I just had a drive, I think. It felt like it was something that was like outside of myself. To some extent, it was pride. I'm not very good at asking for things. I, I like to do things for myself. So I think even with the hostel thing, I had friends in London. I had family in London that I could have stayed with, but I didn't want to ask them for help. I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. So yeah, that's, that's kind of why I ended up staying in a hostel. I mean, like, I think I just couldn't go back home for whatever reason. I wasn't in a particularly good state. I think that's the thing is the more I think about it, I'm like, oh, I ran away from Bristol. and I ran away to the circus, essentially. Um, well, that circus delivered two pretty important people, um, Noel Clark and uh, Plan B, Ben Drew. Mm. I think Ben was like really formative to me. I still didn't fully have the confidence to be an artist, I think. When I first moved to London, I, I was kind of like, okay, I think, I, I guess I'm an actor. I'm an actor is because a casting director saw me in like an open audition and was like, I think you should do this. I think you you have the right instincts or something I, just, I can see you, you can do this as a job so I was kind of, it was kind of a thing of like well I guess this is what I do now I guess this is my job Ben while we were shooting adulthood I, I think he maybe maybe I played him something or I told him I was a singer or something or somebody else told him I was a singer I think and he was like oh why don't you come to the studio and we can work on some like songs for the soundtrack or whatever and I was like huh <laughs> why is this happening and I was like I was a fan of his already obviously yeah. And we did. We he, we did like I think we did two sessions, and he just taught me. He like told me a lot about songwriting, and we wrote a song together that wasn't on the soundtrack. And then I sang a song that he'd written, but didn't feel confident enough to sing. This is before he was sick. He didn't feel like he was a good enough singer to like sing a full song. Wow. <laughs> so this is pre Strickland Banks, I guess. So yeah, he that opened my mind up to like a completely different way to do things. It gave just I think his encouragement as well just gave me confidence to be like, yeah, I can I could I can do this to be a to be an artist and to sing because I'm not I'm still not that confident in my singing voice. You should be. Well, thank you. No, genuinely, I'm not just saying this because we're in the room and I can see the whites of your eyes. You put out a lot of music. There's a ton of EPs and obviously the album. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're a man now, boy. It came out a few years ago. Yeah. Um. I played that back to front quite a few times. Thank you. Um, and part of the reason that I really enjoyed it is because it's so honest and autobiographical. And mm. in talking to you, I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that these weren't just stories. These are corners of your life. Mm. And also it sounds like um, therapeutic in a lot of ways. Uh, now, with a new record coming and with you in a very different place in your life, yeah. um, will the music reflect that? Does the music have to reflect that? Yeah, I mean, it does. I think I always had this thing where I was like, the the minute my album comes out is the minute I start working on the second album. And the, the, to be completely frank, the process of putting together my first album was like hell for me. Well, the person that you are on that record feels a lot younger than the person that I'm talking to right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I mean, the, the album title speaks to that. It mm. feels as if it's a young man trying to figure himself out. Yeah. Whereas now, Jacob, rather than Rally, is a married man. Mm. and is in a very different place in his career. Mm. I'd say it's almost the inverse of the first album. If the first album was me being like, I'm a kid, I really want to be an adult, and I want to understand what it means to be an adult, this album is very much about me as an adult being like, the only way I'm going to be able to move forward is if I can be 
comfortable with who I was. If I can reconnect with myself as a child and all of the stuff that I need to work through about my childhood, then that will give me everything I need to, to be a better person in the future. So it's like the opposite. It's like reaching back and trying to give myself a hug when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, since you've essentially got what you've asked for, mm. you know, you've, um, you've been on a hit TV show, you asked for it <laughs> and it's happened. Um, I'm haunted by this all the time. Yeah. Well, this is what you wanted. Yeah. This, this is what you asked for. Uh, since you've got what you asked for, yeah. um, how has that impacted the person that you are on stage as a musician? Because in the minds of the audience, mm. Jacob is fighting with Grey Worm. Because if people didn't know you were an actor first album, mm. they know now. <laughs> yeah. I try not to think about it too much. I think I thought about it a lot with the first album. I was I really had my back up. Whereas now I feel more... Like, for instance, yesterday, a guy shouted Grey Worm at me and asked me for a photograph. And I went over and I was like, that's not my name. And he was like, oh, fine, Riley Ritchie then was fine. That's not your name either. And I was like, no, it's not. And I took the photo and walked off. But back in the days, that would have I would have thought about that for weeks. Like perception was so important to me. At a mm. certain point, I was just like, I think it's part of why the name came about as well. Because I changed it again. I had a different name before that. <laughs> Who were you before? When I was growing up, I was called JB Love. <laughs> but you have to understand. Wait, wait, wait. You have to understand. I was listening to Jonesy. music soul child. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was, I was like very, very neo-soul. So your name was JB Love? Yeah. I wanted to be a British neo-soul so, right, like right. crossover. That was like my, in my head, that's what I was. Were you wearing be. head wraps at the time? I've never, no, never did the head wraps. Do you have on silk underwear right now? Maybe. No, <laughs> no that's that silk underwear is not. It's just not, not functional, is it? It no. doesn't make any sense. It feels like you're always just wet. See, I, I like the feeling of it in the moment, but the thought of wearing it for the day doesn't appeal. That's horrible. So you were a wannabe neo soul guy, yeah, and then you switched up to rally. Yeah, yeah. There's like, there's, yeah. I, th I was always really worried about like. I think people saw me as the equipment. My manager said this to me, and I was like, "That's really interesting," because I've always worked really, really hard. I think it really hurt me when I thought of it in this way. But my manager was like, "Because you're an actor." you're seen in the same way as like a really rich kid would be seen, like a really privileged kid, because they'd be like, oh, well, you've been handed a music career because you've done this or whatever, without knowing the foundation of it and how long I've been yes. doing that. So it's like, so the perception of you is going to be of like, of privilege and all this kind of stuff, which is a difficult pill for me to swallow because A, because of my upbringing and B, because because of the work that I put into it. Well, identity fascinates me. And mm. um, uh, particularly whenever I speak to people who are of mixed heritage, mm. I'm always really interested how they see themselves and how much they care about the way that the world sees them. Mm -hmm. um, but, but for somebody like yourself who has different careers mm. and uh, perception is obviously something that you care about a, a lot as well. Yeah. And then having dual cities that have made a massive Sometimes impact on you. I feel like the most mixed race man in... <laughs> in the country <laughs> I'm like it's, the world is so confusing for me <laughs> and I'm not not to say that that is the the kind of definition of what it is to be mixed race as a as a, as a definition but yeah it's confusing uh, please, please why, explain why, did, why are there not like more things about being mixed race 
there's there's quite a lot on this album about there's one song that's very much about like my relationship with this country and its history. I'm English officially, <laughs> but I have a very complex as as all of us do. All of us uh, colonized peoples have a very complicated relationship with with the history of this country. Mm. I think it's, I've, I'm a very mixed race person. <laughs> so where does that push and pull leave you? Because it's a push and pull that's clearly happened in your personal life uh, because mm. of heritage mm. and one that I understand and identify with massively as well, given my heritage mm -hmm. that stretches all the way back to Africa and the complications yeah. uh, that come with that and creatively as well. Mm. So being pulled and pushed in lots of different directions have you found that creatively as a a good thing? Because I imagine that conflict creates more art. It creatively, I think, is ev it's everything. I think it's just in me. I'm constantly questioning everything. It's really funny because I think people say to me sometimes, they're like, oh, you seem very, like, calm. You seem very, like, comfortable in sort of social situations and stuff. And I'm like, I have, like, crippling social anxiety. I, like, I find it, I am constantly, like second guessing what other people think of me and it's it's really weird because that fights against the things that i make yeah. i think in me like the things i make are very much like i don't care what you think of me but as soon as i'm outside of that that safe place of like creating things and making things i suddenly i'm just like please like me please accept me i find it very difficult has marriage changed that yeah my wife for one she literally saved my life. Literally. Meeting her gave me a purpose that I, I didn't have before, like a sense of family and a sense of belonging and acceptance that I just didn't have. But with my wife, there's just an acceptance that we have of each other and we've seen each other kind of at our quote-unquote worst and we still, we're still there and, and we still have each other's backs all the time and... Going back a few steps, I'm really interested to find out if there is a song that sort of helped shape you in a way, because music's a huge part of my life and mm. it's a huge part of your career and clearly your personal life too. Mm. So can you boil down maybe one record that's yeah. done something massive for you? The song that comes to my mind is Miseducation of Lauren Hill. When I first came to London to do auditions and stuff, I'd bought myself a PSP. So I'd get a coach from Bristol to London at like 4am to get to like 9am auditions. At the time, I didn't realise that I could ask to move the time of the audition. <laughs> didn't know that. I also did like, you know, part of the reason that I stayed in hostels, for instance, is that, yes, yeah, so I, got, I got a PSP. The memory was, <laughs> was not great. Yeah. This is still like early days of iPods and stuff. Yeah. I managed to get Miseducation of Lauren Hill, uh, Back to Black, Amy Winehouse, and... um. I just want to sing Music Soul, Music Soul Child. So I managed to get those three albums on it. And so I just listened to them on rotation on, on the coach. Miseducation of Lauren Hill, just, I, there's something about the song that I think like it really speaks to the drive that I had at that time. That sense of like, I, I'm going to do this thing because I have to do this thing. I have no plan B. I don't have any GCSEs. I don't have prospects necessarily. So this, I have to make these things work. And that song has that real sense of like destiny and purpose and forward looking, but also like it's introspective. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. Like the string, I think that song is the reason why I like use strings so much in my music is yeah. it's so like evocative and it's just a beautiful song. Um, all right, film. 
some of my greatest memories are tied to film and yeah. I'm fascinated to find out what yours might be. Is there any one film that was a massive steer for you? Yeah, Men in Black is like a big one for me because I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember seeing it like it was yesterday because I'd never seen somebody that looked like me fighting alien and he's the lead in that film like it's his film um so that was like a huge brain cracking moment but actually i think one of the most kind of like film experiences most formative for me was eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and i feel weird about saying it because i've i watched it again recently and just noticed how it's the the whitest film ever the older i get the more I start to think critically and think about things, the more uncomfortable I am with that mm. in a way that I wasn't when I was 14 as much, maybe subconsciously. But that film was, I watched it by accident. I loved Jim Carrey when I was growing up, as he was the funniest person. So I watched this film thinking it was going to be a Jim Carrey film. My mum had gone to sleep and we'd like rented another film. It was like Blockbuster used to have that like two for one deal on a Friday night or whatever. So every week, we do that and it was like a special treat and I watched this film I like grew up I like leveled up in some way and I was like I didn't know it was possible to like tell stories in this way I'm so confused but I feel like I've I feel like I've got smarter you know when you read a book and you've got like you have to check the dictionary but you actually feel like you're you're, you're getting a you're proper learning. education and you're like was that um and I watched it straight away again oh wow straight as the credits rolled went back to the beginning of the film and watched the whole thing straight away. So was it more formative for you as an actor or as a writer or as a director because Gondry like mm. shot the hell out of that mm. and as a screenplay it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's it's mind-blowing visually and in terms of the performances as well. All of the feelings are there. It's the film that like led me into like Wes Anderson and like all those kind of right. like indie right, films right, from right. that period. It felt so true. It felt like what I imagined love yeah. felt like painful, but also like beautiful. And and even though it had all these weird visuals and, and the structure of it was weird and it was back to front and inside out, it all felt so real. And so I cried my eyes out at 14. Yes. I, I, I wasn't, I'd never felt love before. I'd never been in love. Yeah. Like, but it all just felt... And it's that True. hope at the end as well, isn't it? Yeah. That it could work out. Yeah. Even if it's going to be painful. Yeah, that like that did they, didn't they kind of mm. thing. Like it's, it's, and I think, I think actually that film really set me off. I think my music changed when I watched that film as well. It just set me on a path of like, oh, you can do anything as long as the feeling is there, as long as it, there's honesty in it and there's truth in it and the feelings are there. It can be in any form you want. Just, there are no rules. Yeah. That's what that film taught me. There are no rules to how you communicate your truth. I can't think of a more perfect way to end this because um, in some way, and not to be massively cheesy or anything, but mm. what you've just said about that film feels as if you could be talking about you and the way in which you've chosen to express yourself now, genuinely. And I say that as a fan and also as somebody who's been locked in a room with you for the last hour or so. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really pleased for it because um, just hearing you talk at length about what it is you've done and what it is you're going on to do is incredible. So um, thank, you. thank you. Thank you for joining thank us. Thank you, man. You've been listening to The Road Less Travelled, brought to you by Bellstar. Bellstar.